We are going to be looking at a portion of Ephesians chapter 5, and there should be an outline in your bulletin, and there are printed messages at both exits. You can pick them up, and those are also on the church website, and you can access them there. I said last week, if you're a husband and you have your wife here today, you have to promise to come next time. Uh, This one is kind of aimed at wives next time, and actually for two times I'm going to double up on the husbands. So if you're feeling overwhelmed when you leave this morning, uh, women, uh, just get your husband here the next two times, and uh, they'll get a double portion. So uh, we're in Ephesians 5, and I want to work through eventually verses 22 to 33, but This morning, verses 22 to 24, the Apostle Paul says, Wives, uh, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. When you hear that I'm, I'm talking about the subject of wives submitting to their husbands, I have a hunch that some women and maybe some men, maybe many women and many men will think, seriously? I mean, how can he talk on a subject like that in a day and age like this? I mean, Is he living in the dark ages or what? Because it's about as out of sync with our culture as anything could be to suggest that wives should be subject to their husbands. However, I hope that we all here believe that the Bible is God's inspired and authoritative word, that it is there to equip us for all godliness And if we do, we need to step back from our culture a moment and take a look at what the Scripture says about the subject and why does it say it so that we can understand and apply it um, carefully in our own lives. What it says is pretty straightforward. Paul says, as the church is subject to Christ... So wives are to be subject to their husbands in everything. And that's almost a verbatim quote from verse 24. Now, because of our modern culture, though, that command just grates on the souls of many who even profess faith in Christ. There's a whole movement of evangelicals called egalitarians, and they believe that there should be no role distinctions in the home, or in the church, women may be pastors, elders, all of the above. Uh, and in the home, husbands and wives have to talk about who's going to make what decision and that sort of thing. Um, I have read their explanations, and to me, they are not convincing. They're just trying to dodge the plain meaning of the text. But let me offer a few comments that might help us uh approach this subject biblically. First of all, as with all of God's commands, the command in our text is for our good, 
from our all-wise and loving uh, God. In other words, God doesn't give commands to harm us, to penalize us, to take away our enjoyment or anything of the kind. He designed marriage, and so he can tell us how marriage works and how we have to live in it if we want his blessing. We can assume that God is not a cosmic male chauvinist who hates women and is trying to uh, suppress women and punish them and then reward men by giving these commands to wives and then to husbands, but rather these commands reflect his wise and loving care for us as we obey. Now let's be honest though, almost all of us, men and women alike, don't like that word submit. I mean, when you hear the word submit, what do you want to do? Fight. You know, I've got my rights. I'm going to stand up for my rights. You know, I will not submit. That's just our natural response. And yet the Bible is very clear. All Christians must submit. If you don't submit to Jesus, you're not a Christian. It's that simple. Being a Christian is submitting to the lordship of Jesus over your life. And not only is there God, Jesus, but there are authorities that God has ordained and his word commands us to submit to them, to the government, um, to employers in a proper sense, church leaders, and then in the family as we're going to look at here. And if you're living in rebellion to God's constituted authority on any level, you're really defying God who ordained that authority. And so we, we have to, again, get over the hardness of that word submit and say, you know, I am happiest when I am in submission to God and what God has ordained. A second thing to note is that the church is in no way degraded by submitting to Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, it's to the church's glory to submit to Christ. And even so, it is not degrading to a wife to submit to her husband, but Paul says in verse 27 that it results in her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And so submission results in her ultimate good. A third thing to note is that a wife's submission to her husband then is not a cross that she has to glumly bear, gritting her teeth, but rather it's the path of joy. In the context of Ephesians 5, Paul has just been talking about being filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and giving thanks to the Lord and all of that, and then uh, he is not changing the mood of that when he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And so just as submission to God is the true path to eternal joy, so a submission of a wife to her husband is the Lord's way to true and lasting joy. A fourth thing to note is that uh, Christian marriage is to be a countercultural witness to a very selfish world we live in where everyone is fighting for his or her rights. Um, that is the way the world works. And God designed Christian marriage so that the world should look at it and go, what in the world is going on there? Uh, it is so countercultural. 
The world should see a Christian husband tenderly, selflessly uh, caring for his wife in a loving way as Christ loved the church. They should see a Christian wife joyfully submitting to and respecting her husband and seeking his good. Uh, They should see Christian children who are obedient to their parents and parents who are tenderly, lovingly training their children in the ways of the Lord. And if, if you've, I don't watch it, but every once in a while I get a preview of a sitcom while I'm watching the news during my evening workout. And the shows that are on TV are just appalling. And the contrast between all the garbage that's on these family sitcom shows and a Christian home should just be night and day where the world sees Christ in us. Now, in both the Old and New Testaments, the Bible uses the picture of God and his people as a marriage relationship. Um, Our marriage pictures the relationship of God and his people. In the Old Testament, God often laments because uh, his people were unfaithful to him, like an unfaithful spouse. And and, uh, that's the picture. Here in the New Testament, Paul draws the analogy between Christ and the church. In verse 32 of Ephesians 5, he says, This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. And I would have thought, reading the context, no, he's not. He's talking about Christian marriage. But Paul says, really, what I'm talking about is Christ and the church. I think it goes back to the garden. God created man as male and female to reflect his image in a perfect setting in the garden. In the Trinity, all three persons of the Trinity are equal, equally God. And yet, to carry out the divine plan, the Son willingly submits to the Father to carry out the plan. The Spirit submits to the Father and the Son as he helps uh, with that plan. And there is perfect love and harmony between the members of the Trinity. There's no competition. There's no rivalry. There's no vying for power. All of the members of the Trinity uh, exist in perfect love. And it's a picture of marriage, that in a Christian marriage, the husband and wife are equal in every way as persons before God. And yet, for the carrying out of the divine plan, there's an order of authority and submission that reflects the divine image. So that means this, if a husband puts his wife down, or if he is abusive toward her, he's really proclaiming heresy. He is telling the world that God is abusive toward his people, his church, which is a horrible lie. Uh, If the husband is a self-centered dictator who barks orders at his family and uses them for his own comfort and his own furtherance, uh, he is proclaiming a lie, and that is that our gentle, loving Savior is a cruel, evil, self-centered dictator. That is not the picture we are to reflect. If a man in the home abdicates his leadership and lets his wife lead, he's really preaching that we don't have a good shepherd who guides his flock. He's just kind of letting the flock go on their own and doing whatever the flock wants to do. 
And he's saying that the church is free to live out from under submission to Jesus Christ. If a husband is unfaithful to his wife or a husband neglects his wife by being married to his career or his hobbies, again, he's preaching that our Savior is unfaithful to his church and that he really couldn't care less about the church. He's got more important things to do. And again, that's another falsehood. And so, as married Christians, the world should be seen in our marriages a beautiful picture of our Savior and his love for us and our, <clears throat> excuse me, our response to him. So it's very much involved in how we relate as husbands and wives. Now, to explain a text that admittedly is difficult in light of our cultural scene, I want to have you consider with me four main statements. And the first one is this. To submit biblically to your husband, you must be in submission to the Lord. Verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, the word be subject in the New American Standard is in italics because the verb is not there, but it is carried over from verse 21, where Paul says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, and then wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. In the context, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ is Uh, contingent on verse 18, being filled with the Spirit, where we are um, controlled by the Spirit of God, then we will submit to one another um, in uh, the Lord. When he says, wives be subject as to the Lord, he does not mean that a wife must submit to her husband uh, exactly as she submits to the Lord, because let's face it, The Lord is perfect, and husbands aren't. And all the wives said, Amen. Yes. We are not perfect. Uh, Paul means, rather, that submission to your husband is a part of submission to the Lord, since he commanded it. And that if you're fighting the idea of being subject to your husband, you're really fighting against a higher authority, the Lord, who ordained that order in marriage. And so you have to begin by saying, Lord, I want to be subject to your word. I want to obey your word, even in the hard parts, and uh, give me grace there. A second statement is then that to be biblically, uh, to submit biblically to your husband, you have to recognize the fact that he is your head. Verse 23 is explaining verse 22. For The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Now, you notice that Paul did not say that the husband ought to be the head of the wife. Uh, It says he is. It's a fact. It's the way God ordained it. The husband is the head of the wife. Granted, there are husbands who are weak ineffective, and some of them just plain lousy, heads of their wives. They're not good leaders. But every husband is, by God's ordained order, the head of his wife. Uh, Douglas Wilson, in his book, uh, Reforming Marriage, writes, 
Meditating on this is a very valuable thing for husbands to do. Because the husband is the head of the wife, he finds himself in a position of inescapable leadership. He cannot successfully refuse to lead. If he attempts to abdicate in some way, he may, through his rebellion, lead poorly. But no matter what he does or where he goes, he does so as the head of his wife. This is how God designed marriage. Now that fact of the husband's headship, which is analogous to Christ's headship over his church, has at least two implications. I'm sure there are more, but two that I want to point out. The first one is that the fact of the husband's headship means there are gender-based roles in uh, Christian marriage as ordained by God. There is a sense in verse 21, all believers are to be subject to one another, but there's another sense in which wives then are to submit to their husbands, but there is nowhere that it says husbands should submit to their wives. In fact, you can look up every time in the New Testament that the Bible gives counsel to women, it gives the same counsel, that they are to be subject to their husbands, but it never commands husbands to be subject to their wives. And the verb has the meaning of putting yourself in rank under one. So it's not a demeaning term in that a sergeant may know more than the lieutenant he's under in the army, but... He is under the lieutenant. And uh, all of the New Testament commands for wives to be subject to their husbands are addressed to the wives, never to the husbands. In other words, God doesn't tell husbands, get your wife to submit to you. That's not the husband's job, as I'll point out next time. Uh, Rather, it's stating a fact And the wife should respond to the Lord who designed marriage this way by willingly submitting to her husband. Also, this is not a culturally determined role. Those who try to skate out from under it say, well, that only applied to that culture because um, it would have upset the culture too much. We live in a different culture. God could have created Adam and Eve simultaneously. He did not. Uh, he created Eve out of Adam. And from that fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven nine concludes this. He says, For indeed, man was not created for woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. So she was to be a helper suitable to assist the man in his God-given task. And so the roles in a marriage of headship and submission are not culturally determined. They are determined way back from creation and uh, are applicable in every culture. Now, I'll add, specific duties in the household are up for grabs in terms of who cooks the meals, who buys the groceries, who does the finances, uh, who cleans the house. All of the, the Bible doesn't tell us These roles must be determined by gender. Uh, A couple just needs to sit down and talk through all that stuff and work it out. But the point is, again, the role of the husband as head and the wife as subject to him are fixed. 
A second implication of the fact of the husband's headship is that just as Christ's headship over the church means that he has authority over the church for her good, so the husband has authority over the wife for her good. Headship clearly means authority. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11.3, Paul refers to an order of authority. He says, I want you to understand Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Again, that doesn't mean Christ is inferior to God. He submits to the Father for carrying out the divine plan. Now, here's an important principle. Biblical authority is never given for the advantage of the one in authority. It's never given so that those in authority can dominate those under their authority. But rather, God delegates authority for the blessing and protection of those who are under authority so that they'll become all that God wants them to be. I'm going to repeat that because that's crucial. Biblical authority, God delegates biblical authority for the blessing and protection of those who are under authority, and the aim is that they will become all that God wants them to be. Um, Take the government. When the government works properly, citizens should be protected and blessed. It's when government leaders start using the, the government position to feather their own pockets or to abuse people under them like dictators in North Korea and that kind of thing that the people under them suffer terribly. They should be blessing their people and protecting their people, and that's the role of authority. Also, that means that the one in authority is accountable to God for the use of that authority. And if he abuses it, he will answer to God. Now, again, that doesn't mean a husband has to make every decision, uh, but it means the husband is responsible for every decision made. He will, he will answer for it. It's like in the Navy recently. A couple of ships got ran into in the night by other ships and sailors died. The commanders of those ships lost their command. Why? They were asleep. (laughs) They didn't know what was going on. Well, they were responsible. They were the commander of those ships. They were responsible to train those guys on duty to be sure that those ships did not get into that kind of a problem. And so if a husband then is negligent with his responsibility or he abuses it for his own benefit, he's going to answer to God. Then... After explaining that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, Paul adds in verse 23, he himself, referring to Christ, being the savior of the body. Now commentators puzzle over, why did Paul add that statement in this context? It seems to me that he is doing two things with that comment. He is assuring the wives and he's exhorting the husbands. Uh, He is assuring the wives that Christ's headship over the church meant that he gave himself for her salvation. He died on the cross for the good, the benefit, 
of his elect people, the church, uh, and to save us from our sins. Now, that role is unique, but husbands, as he's going to go on and say in verse 25, should love their wives as Christ loved the church, sacrificing himself for her. So husbands then should be exhorted that your role is to lay down your life selflessly, daily, for your wife, that she would be all that God wants her to be. And so, in other words, it's an exhortation to husbands to use your headship to protect and bless your family, your wives, and your children. And then wives can be assured they're not going to be harmed, but cared for and loved in this uh, relationship when they submit to that kind of godly leadership of their husbands. So if you're a husband and you just abdicate your leadership, you're leaving your wife spiritually unprotected. So first of all, then, to submit biblically to your husband, you have to be in submission to the Lord. That's the beginning. This stuff won't make any sense if your life is not in submission to Jesus Christ. Secondly, you must recognize that, in fact, your husband is your head, your authority. Third statement I want to make is that to submit biblically to your husband, you have to understand what biblical submission is and is not. And so first I'm going to give you a definition, and then I'll describe seven characteristics of biblical submission. The definition is this. Biblical submission is the attitude and action of willingly and wholeheartedly respecting, yielding to, and obeying the authority of another. Now, that's, that applies to all realms of authority, to God himself, to human government, to church government, in the home, wives to husbands, cher- uh, children to parents, and then in the marketplace of employers. But it includes our attitude because it's not supposed to be forced, but willing and from the heart. Now, applying it to wives, let me give the following description of uh, submission in marriage with seven characteristics of it. First of all, I believe that submission involves respecting your husband. When Paul sums up this paragraph down in verse 33, he repeats from verse 25 that the husband must love his wife And then he varies it a bit. Instead of saying, and the wife must submit to her husband, he says, and the wife must respect uh, her husband. And I believe that a large part of submission involves respect. Uh, There was a best-selling book that came out called Love and Respect by Emerson Egriches. But at the very least, what respect means is that a wife doesn't attack her husband She's not competing against him. She's not putting him down, trying to win points. Uh, She's on her husband's team and should cheer him on and uh, assure him of her loyalty and love. I remember early in our marriage when Marla would be upset with me over something, usually for good cause, I would uh, say to her, "Hold, hold on, hold on, we're on the same team. I'm on your team. I want you to win. I hope you want me to win because if we get separated, the enemy's coming in. Now, what's the problem? Let's talk. And you have to establish that early in your marriage relationship. We're not competing. We're on the same team. We're uh, cooperating together. 
Then secondly, submission includes the desire to please the one who's over you. Uh, I can't tell you how many times when I've counseled with couples whose marriages are in trouble, they're competing. They're, they're trying to gain dominance one over the other. And he's upset. She doesn't submit to me. And she's upset. Oh, he's a tyrant. And, and they're fighting against each other, blaming each other, trying to win. And the wife isn't trying to please the husband. She's trying to make him pay. You know, he wronged me, and I'm going to make him pay. And when you got that kind of dynamic going on, there will be no healing in a marriage. Submission means you want to please him. You want to make him happy. If his favorite meal is something, you don't cook something he hates, you cook something he loves. Or if he likes the house to be neat, you, you don't just say, tough luck, that's the way it is. You, you try and make the house as neat as you can. You may need his help doing that. But uh, the point is, you don't punish him by making him unhappy. You please him in every way. That's part of submission on the job. You know, if you're subject to your boss, you want to please your boss. You want him to be happy with your performance so that the company thrives, that kind of thing. The third thing about submission, it means not subverting your husband's will and desires through deception, manipulation, or whining. I've seen wives, again, who put on a veneer of submission, and then they go behind the scenes. And boy, they're clever at trying to get their way, maneuvering, manipulating. Uh, Sometimes they whine or nag until they get what they want. And finally, the husband just thinks, I just want some peace. Do it whatever you want, will you? And he begs off by trying to get peace and abdicates his leadership. So submission isn't trying to get your way through manipulation. Uh, A fourth thing, submission means responding to your husband as leader and lover. I'll tell you, ladies, most husbands feel pretty incompetent and threatened about leading their families if you really peel it away. They might put on a macho, yeah, I got this kind of attitude, but it's not an easy job. And, uh, you know, if a husband makes a feeble attempt to lead and he catches criticism or ridicule or even apathy, he's probably going to back off and say, I'm not going to try again. So you need to encourage any spark of leadership if he takes the initiative to read the Bible to the family at, at night. Wow, fan the flame. Say, that was great. Boy, I really appreciated that. Give encouragement. Um, if he makes a suggestion for a romantic evening together, don't criticize his idea. Um, maybe he dares to share something that's on his heart. Maybe a fear he's got or something. Just listen sensitively and be an encouragement. Be a support to him. Don't tear him down. A fifth thing about submission, it doesn't imply the inferiority of the wife to her husband. As I said earlier, that would be heretical because it implies that Jesus is inferior to the Father because he submitted to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 28 says, even in eternity, Jesus will be subject to the Father. So, That's an amazing concept that they are equal in person 
equal in deity, and yet Jesus will subject himself to the Father. 1 Timothy 3 says that a godly husband is to be a good manager of his family, of his household. A good manager utilizes the strengths of those who are on his team. He doesn't he isn't threatened by them if they're doing a good job at something. He says, wow, that's great. That furthers the cause. And he helps them to succeed. And so the point is, again, if your wife is better at something than you are, don't be threatened by that. Use her. She's good at money and you're not. Use her in that area or whatever the, the strength may be. And that's how a marriage succeeds uh, as the couple works together for their common good. A sixth thing about submission, it does not imply passivity. Again, a lot of wives have the idea, okay, I'm to be subject, so I'll just be quiet, be a doormat. Uh, When you read 1 Peter 3, where Peter says that a wife should be subject, even if her husband is disobedient to the Lord, you'll notice he doesn't say she shouldn't try to influence him. He tells her how to influence him by her quiet and gentle spirit. So she's not to just say, oh, well, he's a brute. I'm not going to do anything. No, you're supposed to influence him. Peter's telling you how to do it there. And, you know, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and wives are to be subject to all Scripture just like husbands are. Well, Scripture says you're to speak the truth in love. Scripture says we are to admonish one another. If we see someone going astray, we aren't to be passive. We are to go and help restore them. And that applies to wives as well as husbands. And so I believe if a wife sees her husband going astray from the Lord in some way, she needs to gently come alongside and admonish him and speak the truth in love. Uh, If her husband is insensitive or aloof, she needs to talk to him about that and express why uh, she is bothered by his insensitivity or his aloofness and so on. In other words, if there's not good communication going on, a husband cannot make good decisions and the family will suffer. And so sometimes a wife has to be pretty vigorous to get her opinion through. And if you don't do that, the marriage is just going to drift Submission means after there's been a thorough, honest sharing of opinions and feelings, that if there's still disagreement, at that point, the wife has to go along with the husband's decision as long as it's not a sinful decision. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, But the point is this. A husband will answer to God for all decisions. And so if you go against your wife's wisdom... You're on. You better have it right because you will answer to God someday for it. And you better do that with fear and trembling because uh, she might have some wisdom you're supposed to be listening to. And I can honestly say in 43 years of our marriage, on any major decision, I don't think Marla and I have ever come to that impasse where I said, well, I'm sorry, we have to do it this way. Um, Sure, on minor things. I go along with her sometimes. She goes along with me. It's not my favorite, but that's, that's not the, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about big issues that affect uh, the family, where we'll live, what we'll do. 
um, major financial decisions. We've always talked and prayed and come to mutual agreement on those things. The final thing here about submission is it doesn't require a wife to bury her spiritual gifts. Uh, You look in the Bible, there are many gifted women and in church history, and they've been greatly used of God. You have Priscilla, who's often, almost always, named before her husband, uh, Aquila. And she was probably the prominent one in helping uh, Apollos get his doctrine straightened out in private, sitting there talking to him. You have Timothy, whose grandmother and mother were a godly influence on him. He had a pagan father, apparently, um, training him in the scriptures. Uh, Women have a tremendous ministry in influencing their children to follow the Lord. And in uh, Romans 16, Paul refers to the mother of Rufus. He says, his mother and mine. I don't think he means literally he was a brother to Rufus. He means Rufus's mother had a role in Paul's life like a mother, and Paul really appreciated that. So Paul is saying again, as the church then is subject to Christ, so wives should be to their husbands. And then he adds one more thing we need to consider. He says that since genuine submission must be total, uh, genuine submission to Christ, genuine submission to your husband must be total. See, at the end of verse 24, he, he adds those two little words, so a wife must be subject to her husband in everything. Now you have to think, well, what does he mean by that? Well, first of all, I think what he's getting at is in everything means you can't create loopholes, you know, to dodge the commandment because Paul knew we're all prone to dodge the hard commandments of Scripture. Oh, there's got to be a way around that one, you know, and we figure out a way. Uh, A lot of wives might be thinking, you know, I would love to submit to my husband like Steve's talking about if he would just start loving me like he should. But he doesn't. And so there's a loophole. And you dodge around it. And I find, again, when couples come to me for counsel, invariably they're doing this. She's pointing at him. He's pointing at her. And there will not be any healing in that marriage until I can get them to do this. And each one points to themselves. And then that marriage can begin to heal. So you can't find a loophole by blaming your mate. A second thing in everything means it includes submission in your thoughts, words, and deeds. I think submission really begins in your thought life. For example, maybe you have a disagreement with your husband. He goes out the door, and all day you're running him down in your thoughts. Oh, he's so insensitive. He's unkind. He should have done this. He didn't do this. And you're running him down in your thoughts. Guess what? When he walks in the door, it's not going to be a lovey-dovey evening. Uh, You've been running him down in your thought life all day. When he walks in the door, you're going to snap at him with your words. You might say, dinner's in the oven. Get it for yourself. Whatever. Your deeds will not be loving. Why? Because it started in your thoughts. So you you have to begin with your thought life of thanking God for the husband he gave you, thinking about his good qualities. There's got to be at least some or you wouldn't have married him. Um, And then just when he comes in the door, you still may need to talk about what the disagreement was in the morning, but you do it with a whole different mindset. 
because you've been praying for him all day. You, you maybe sent him a text, said, honey, I'm really sorry that we had that disagreement. Can we talk tonight? You see, it sets a whole different tone because your thoughts, your words, your deeds are supportive of him. And then, in everything, thirdly, does not mean submitting to sin. It's not total in the sense. If your husband asks you to do something that Scripture clearly forbids, you have to obey God and not your husband. You do it gently, you do it graciously, but if your husband says he wants you to view pornography, you've got to say, no, no, that's not godly. Can't go there. If he asks for you to cheat on your taxes or to lie for him, uh, you have to say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I want to be honest, and God knows our every move. I want to honor him. If your husband says, you've got to stop going to church again, I think you graciously have to say to him, you know, I love you, but I love Jesus more, and I need to be with his people in obedience to him. Um, maybe some Sundays, sure, you take off and do something with him. That's fine, but generally you need to be committed to a local church. So you do it respectfully, but you have to resist. The fourth thing is, in everything does not mean that you say yes to every demand if by doing so you're fostering your husband's laziness and irresponsibility. Uh, A lot of husbands use their so-called authority to just dump their responsibility so that they can be lazy um, and they want their wife to cater to them as their slave. And that doesn't create intimacy in marriage. And so you need to graciously go to your husband and explain uh, the situation because to allow someone to go on in sin is not to love that person, and we're all to love one another. And so you have to talk about problems uh, and uh, not enable your husband to be irresponsible and lazy. And then finally, in everything, does not mean yielding to criminal behavior, and that includes threats or physical abuse. If a husband is getting drunk or he's using illegal drugs or he's abusing the wife or children, then he's not only violating God's law, he's violating the laws of our state, and we're to be subject to those laws. Submission doesn't mean you just passively tolerate that kind of of disobedience to uh, God's law and to the law of the state. I believe that in those cases, a wife should call the police and the husband should go to jail. He is in violation of the law. If he professes to be a Christian, you should call the church leaders and the elders should meet with him and rebuke him and exhort him to change. Now, I'm going to say this part carefully, but listen carefully. I think a godly wife sometimes has to endure a certain amount of verbal abuse from an ungodly husband. I think you can't get around 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, where Peter says, even if your husband's disobedient to the word, you need to submit to him. Disobedient to the word means those kind of men are often using abusive language. Um, 
That's painful. But I've heard Christian counselors say, you don't have to put up with that, just leave him. I don't think that's sound biblical counsel. I think rather you influence him by your godly behavior. I think you can talk to him and say, listen, I want our marriage to be close. But when you talk to me that way, it just drives a wedge between us. And we need to get some help on that. And so you can talk in that way. Now, if a husband is threatening the wife with physical abuse or he's actually hitting her or he's threatening to kill her, it's time to get protection. She needs to get to a safe place with her children and herself so that it doesn't escalate any further and then get some godly counsel. And again, uh, he needs to come to grips with his problem. But... So there's a fine balance in there I'm trying to establish that um, I don't think if your husband calls you a name, it's time to pack up and leave. It is time to talk to him. Talk to him about his abusive behavior and how that's not helping a marriage. So bottom line, this isn't an easy subject to apply and to obey, and I hope you, you understand the balance I'm trying to bring to it. Uh, I would encourage you to grapple with with it, maybe in areas where you feel like, I'm resisting the Lord in that area. Uh, don't blame your husband or wait for him to start. You start, if you're a wife, obeying the Lord in this. And submit to your husband in every area, even as the church is to be subject to Christ. And I believe often... Not always, it's not guaranteed, but often God uses that to bring a husband to repentance. But my point this morning is, if you're fighting this portion of Scripture, then you're not submitting. And if you're not submitting, then the world isn't going to see Christ in your marriage. If you want counsel, help, talk, the elders are available, and we would really want to help if we can. And uh, certainly we want to pray for any difficult marriages in our church. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Father, the um, flesh is strong in many homes, and uh, the spirit is weak. And I know that there are many situations where Christ is not being honored on the part of the husband or on the part of the wife. And uh, it grieves you. And so I ask, Lord, that you would break into our homes with a spirit of Christ-like love, gentleness, graciousness, patience, kindness, peace. I pray, Father, that if there are any here who are in abusive marriages, that you would break in there with genuine conversion on the part of the abusive mate. I pray, Lord, that our homes would be shining lights, testimonies of Christ to this self-centered, evil world we live in. I ask, Lord, if any are here who have never submitted their lives to Jesus, that you would show them that they are in rebellion against you, the God of the universe, that they are not allowed in your sight to run their own lives. They need to repent, turn from their sin, 
trust in Jesus and submit to him. I ask in Jesus' name.